And then I started to realize that actually there's a lot of other people out there that were like trying to quit coffee or reorient their relationship to caffeine, whether that was drinking less or, you know, not drinking an afternoon cup. And that's when I was like, oh, there's a business opportunity here. Really, there's an opportunity to shift culture in a really profound way. And, you know, I noticed how it impacted me and my mental health. And I was like, if I can help just one other person with that, like that's an amazing legacy to leave on the world. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast featuring fascinating individuals. This episode is, in my opinion, hype as always. We always feature really, really interesting entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, subject matter experts, people doing unconventional things in extraordinary ways. And I believe this episode delivers. I'm glad you are here taking the time to listen. We really appreciate it. Let me tell you about today's guest before I keep rambling. Shane Heath is who we had the fortune of interviewing today. I was very, very excited about that. I was fortunate enough to try some of his product, Mudwater, which you may have heard of. You've probably seen it on Instagram, maybe even on YouTube. Their ad has gone semi-viral over the past couple of years. It is a coffee replacement made with adaptogenic mushrooms with one-seventh the caffeine of coffee. Gives you energy without the jitters, anxiety, or crash. They also donate a portion of their profits to Maps News, which is kind of like an awesome psychedelic research organization. Shane is the CEO and founder of this really interesting company. He's also an avid painter, does a lot of jujitsu. He's a really interesting self-experimenter, which I'll tell you about in this episode. He's also very, very philosophical and deep, which I believe he communicates rather immediately just listening to his talk, listening to him talk. Mudwater has been making headlines recently for their almost insane growth rates, their ridiculous employee perks and retention, and of course, the great product. I'm very excited for you to listen to this episode with Shane. We'll just cover decisions behind the company culture, the sabbatical Shane took to surf in India, his thoughts on advertising and marketing that helped them grow so quickly, Shane's advice for reaching a flow state more often and why you might want to do that, some of the interesting things that happen if you're able to achieve that kind of state of mind. We discuss a lot of mistakes they've made along the way. He gives us the breakdown of each ingredient that's in the product and why. And of course, we ask him to share some top secret future goals for the company, which he's generous enough to do. That's what I have to say for this episode. You're going to enjoy it. I'm going to switch to it now. Shane, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. We're super excited to be chatting with you today. Thanks for having me, guys. Stoked to be here. Well, we really appreciate it. I've been you know, using mud, put on camera before we started and not consuming it because I'm on a three-hour time difference and it's a bit late in the day for my caffeine and uh, my ability to digest it. But tomorrow morning, I'll have it in my system again. Uh, I want to start by asking you about some of the really interesting decisions you've made for your company culture. There's a ton of stuff on there that is just really, really non-standard, really, I'd say like extraordinary benefits to working there. Uh, one specifically said is yeah. that you really prioritize belly laughing. So my first question is, what is the last thing that made you <laughs> belly laugh recently? Ooh, let's see. I mean, we, we just got back from a team retreat, actually. Uh, we went to Mexico, this place called Bacalar. It's like this big lagoon out... Um, I think it's around four hour drive from Cancun and uh, yeah, just being with the team sitting on this dock overlooking this huge lagoon at night, uh, we just started talking about hilarious stories of just doing dumb stuff when we were young and um, yeah, there's a little microdosing involved and <laughs> we were just cracking up. Like I think we all uh, talked about the next day at breakfast is one of those nights where you wake up with like sore abs um, without doing exercise. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'm curious, like how you uh, so Kyle, we were kind of brainstorming a few questions and Kyle, I apologize if, if I steal this question from you. Uh, but, you know, you have a ton of incredible people that brand is like the whole process as a consumer from beginning to end. Right. It's like it's a you know, the ads are really appealing. This is why you've been able to scale so quickly. The product is obviously great. The packaging and the copy. And you do like a ton of pieces of that. And Kyle's like asking me, well, we should ask him who does this. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure he does that. Uh, but who's the person handling your hiring? Because it seems like you really, you know, to find people who are interested in going on retreats and doing cold plunges and doing breath work as a team, you, you know, you can't just like find someone off LinkedIn who's going to be like on board for all of that. It's like, what's your process for finding people to, for sure. who are on board with this awesome culture and who's like handling that for you? Because I feel like that's got to be a pretty special responsibility to really build like a team around some shared ideas like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge responsibility. And I admit, like I'm, I'm no expert here. I'm sort of jumping off the cliff and building the wings on the way down. Um, and our team's grown a lot in the last three years. So last year at this time, we were about 
six or seven full-time employees. Um, we worked with a lot of contractors, and I think we've done a great job of activating amazingly talented individuals very quickly by bringing them on as contractors. And a lot of our hires have been sort of cultivated through that method, where we, we knew we had a need. And oftentimes, my co-founder and I, we have this mentality of before we hire, we try to feel the burn. Um, a good example of this was early on, I didn't know really anything about uh, Facebook marketing. Mm. Um, launched the company, started to get some traction just running basic Instagram posts and starting to boost some of those posts. Started to learn a little bit of, of nuance around that, but in general back then, in the early stages, like the CAC was amazing and, and it was really easy to handle because of the budget I was spending. So low budget, really low CAC, so I was kind of like just doing it on my own, right? Um, got to a certain scale and was like, we need to hire, like I need help here. Um, we're, we're getting to a budget where I don't know if I trust myself and hired an agency without fully being fluent in how advertising is run. And so what ended up happening, I think what ends up happening for a lot of founders when they, when they outsource too early is that they don't understand the language around what they're outsourcing. And so they can't really discern if it's, um, if, if whoever's managing it is doing so effectively. And I started to become suspicious of whether or not like the agency was actually doing a good job, but I didn't really know how to quantify that or qualify that because I didn't have that fluency. And I ended up just kind of ripping off the bandaid and, and letting them go and spending a month watching YouTube videos and reading articles on how to manage Facebook ad accounts. So I learned it myself to a certain degree and I was able to run it by myself for the next like six or so months. And then um, with that knowledge, uh, I was able to kind of figure out who we needed with a lot more uh, discernment and brought on someone then. We've kind of taken that approach throughout. So the same thing with digital product, I, I had a background in, in branding and, and uh, know how to code front end, which maybe we can get in to later, but I was able to kind of get a, get us far along um, to a certain stage with what I knew and then eventually brought someone on once I understood um, where my limitations were. As far as figuring out who's down to come on and do the breath work and kind of have, live this kind of interesting work-life balance, um, a lot of our hires have been friends or friends of friends early on, so, so there's that. And as you bring on new people, they bring in larger networks of talent too. So, you know, maybe the first couple of hires were, were friends of mine or people that I'd worked with in the past. And then the next couple of hires were friends of theirs and people they had worked with in the past. And so you kind of have this connective tissue between different people that sort of curates, self-curates um, around interests. But I, I'd say as we look to the future, now we're a 22-person team and um, we'll likely be 30, 30-plus 30 by the end of the year and you know, five years out, who knows how big. Um, it'll become increasingly difficult to rely solely on our own internal networks, right? And, but, I, but I think that if you look around, people are becoming a lot more interested in you know, what a, an employer can give to them beyond a paycheck. Mm. I think there's been a lot of progress over the last couple decades on this, um, but I think we're still at like the the tip of the iceberg in 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 this. And I think employers are becoming more aware of how important it is. Um, I, I just read a, a study that around 60 to 75 percent of employees uh, last year in Q4 were looking to quit, uh, leave their job. And, and switch careers or switch companies. And uh, last year, a quarter of the workplace did so. Um, and losing talent is so, so expensive. Like people mm. don't realize, um, you know, it's, it's really tough to quantify. I think Gallup published a study where it's between 0.5 and 2x of an employee's salary to replace them. But I think it's tough to quantify. I think that's very conservative because you factor in the loss in trust, the disruption to culture where the team's like, oh, where is so-and-so? What happened? Like, what should I be concerned with my role? Um, should I be looking elsewhere? Uh, and then you you obviously lose that skill set too and all the knowledge that they uh, built over time is all of a sudden gone. And, and so I think there's this, um, 
you know, like a decade or two ago, I think we're still riding this transition between where people are understanding how food relates to their their well-being in the long term. We're like, yeah, eating expensive but healthy food right now actually might be more affordable in the long term when you factor in medical bills and all of these things. It's very similar with with hiring and investing in people and culture, um, where you you invest in people on the front end. And it's at, it might seem very expensive, especially to an early stage startup with limited resources. But it's a risk worth taking because in the long run, the risk of losing that talent in that formative stage of a company could be catastrophic to your success. Um, and so both employers and employees are starting to become aware of the worth and employees are becoming more aware of their worthiness and uh, looking for companies who are serving that. Yeah, I think that's all really excellent. I really like that analogy of like food to people and, and how eating, yeah. eating expensive de- today is like, you know, expensive today, but it's not expensive in the long term. That's really good. And then there are a lot of things you touched on, but like growing your startup until, you know, you have something that's out of your realm. And then that's when you, when you pick up another employee. And then like the other thing that I'm picking up on is like, um, you know, it, it comes out of your network, but these people are also selecting you as well. And it's not like they don't have the information about these, like, uh, you know, employee retreats or the breath work or like Wednesdays beforehand. Like they know all of that and they know yeah. what they're getting into. Um, but I, I want to ask you about uh, flow state because there's one thing that I picked up on with this podcast over time is that like painters, music, musicians, and um those two people especially like earlier in life if they picked it up have this like incredible ability to get into a flow state and stay there and surfing as well Mm -hmm. is another one the one i was trying to think of uh and you've kind of done all three of those things and so um my question is like where do you find your flow state today and and like within your business and also like Mm -hmm. how have you cultivated the practice of getting into a flow state yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I I also have a lot of like beliefs or core beliefs around these types of things. Like, I I truly believe that underneath our our intellect and what we think we know um, lies like a deeper intelligence. And I would I would say it's that intelligence or whatever you want to call it that guides our heart to bre- to beat or our, our lungs to breathe or trees to grow, plants to grow. Like whatever that is, is something, right? There's a guiding principle. There's intelligence behind it. And I'm interested in, in ta- tuning into that because I, I think that you can. Um, and I, I think that I've felt that where the ideas don't come from what I've learned necessarily, um, but they come from some other source that feels more pure than that. And I felt that doing plant medicine, um, but also have felt that doing breath work. And that's something I try to, to tap into when I am creating or whenever I'm working on something that is very important. Um, so to your question, how do I cultivate that? Or where, I guess your first question is, when do I feel that in the business? Um, I would say, I, I do feel it a lot. Uh, th- what's unique about this business compared to other companies that I've worked on is that from the beginning, it felt very much like art. Um, and art is obviously a place where I, where I tap into that a lot. I, I remember in college, uh, not really knowing what flow state was, but um, during an art class working on this large painting for the first time in my life and really like, all of a sudden finding myself in this state where my skills seem to be like 10x what I thought they could be and it wasn't coming from a place of thought it was just I was sort of along for the ride and I was just like what was that like I want to do that more I want to find that place more and finding that can be found like you said in a lot of places surfing training jiu-jitsu or training jiu-jitsu and and it can be found in business too. I think when when the business and what you're working on within the business is deeply aligned to that like core soul within that I was talking about that sits beneath you know what your friends tell you, what your teachers taught you, what your parents taught you. Um, and so I think if you do things like eat healthy, um, have a meditation practice, a journaling practice, gener- a general practice around awareness and presence, 
it definitely creates the container for that frequency, that message to flow through. Um, and then it's just a matter of listening and acting upon it. And so with art and music, I think it's, you're right. There's a lot of people that practice those, um, seem to live and seek out that, that feeling more often. And I think it's because you're flexing that muscle. Like I'm constantly in a painting and there's like, just something comes through. It's like, I need to put red over here, you know, like just like these interesting intuitions and the more I act upon them, it seems like the more they come and, and I start to notice them play out in business. And it could be as simple as writing copy for, um, for a post or writing copy for writing an email to our team where I'm trying to inspire, where just these little micro decisions on how to phrase something or how to, you know, even like align the spacing of words or paragraphs, like all of these things really matter in in kind of creating a message that lands in the way that you want. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I could go on for, for a long time about that. But as, as far as like good tips on, on bringing about that state, I think it's like the general practices like meditation, journaling, being in nature, um, eating healthy, uh, fasting is a great way to sort of clear out the noise. Um, and then when you do feel it, act upon it. Yeah, our la our last podcast guest uh, referred to it as like when you like when time evaporates, and I feel like you know, and this is one thing that I've talked about with Lewis before is like I don't really have a practice where like I am like drawing or painting or um, that that I like find myself in that state of flow, um, and, and I'm sort of looking for that. So that's so I appreciate your answer um, and journaling, meditating, and and you know cultivating the practices that sort of like get you there, I think is, is part of the things that I'm missing. Yeah. There's, there's some research on that too. I think Stephen Kotler has a book on it, but mm -hmm. um, it's like a combination of doing something that is difficult, but you have a certain prerequisite amount of skill towards. Um, so some of the, the challenge can be sort of outsourced to like flow, but then mm -hmm. it's difficult enough where you're like extremely focused and sometimes difficulty could also be um, risk. Yeah. I, I want to transition yeah. to uh, ingredients in, in mud water. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, but like, how did you come to decide that these are the ingredients that are going to be in the product? And then additionally, what ingredients were left out? Um, it might have been because of supply constraints or, or some other factor, but maybe maybe an ingredient that you really like or want to have in the drink that just it won't work because of taste or, or some other factor. Right. Um, yeah, so to, to rewind a little bit, this company wasn't uh, created on a whiteboard. Um, I was not intending to start a, a company in the food and beverage space. Uh, I was working in the tech space and... Um, very happy with that. And most of my uh, time was spent thinking about the next big idea, the next big app within that realm. Uh, but somewhere along the way, I started to notice that I had a really low tolerance for caffeine um, and started to try to recreate a morning ritual that wasn't just a vessel for high doses of caffeine. And so that was the first step. I started playing with a, a masala chai, um, A, because I, I wanted this drink to be enjoyable enough to build a, a morning ritual around. And I, I loved the, the flavors with chai. The chai that I was drinking had 30 milligrams of caffeine, um, like no cat, like very low calories, uh, no sugar added. And then I started to blend in some cacao. Um, I, I wanted the, the benefits of like mood. Uh, also, it does have an added stimulant effect. It is sort of different from a coffee high. Um, but then you have like these dopamine factors and, and theobromine come into play. And I also felt like it was added to the flavor, um, which again was really important to me because the, the two things I wanted was the morning routine, something that I did and consumed to start my day. But the other thing was like, could this also be beneficial to me? Um, and that led me to researching some of these adaptogens. So I added lion's mane. The intention with Lion's Mane was focus. Um, I, 
I'm not a mycologist. I'm not a scientist. I was just researching and reading promising uh, studies and reports of different ingredients that had a benefit profile that fit my lifestyle. And lion's mane was definitely one. Focus is definitely something I want. Uh, so I added lion's mane. And then I also love uh, moving. I love training jujitsu, working out. And cordyceps was, was another thing that really excited me um, because it's promising research on cardio. Uh, so cardio and endurance. So that was more for the body where lion's mane was more for the mind. Reishi uh, and Chaga both are have amazing research with immune support. Um, Reishi also around like stress support. So both of those were added to both keep me healthy, um, but also manage more stress with more ease. And then added turmeric for inflammation recovery and cinnamon. Actually, I was I, I do intermittent fasting, and cinnamon was primarily added to support that. So it curbs sugar cravings um, and it helped me uh, yeah, prolong my fast in the morning. Obviously, it's a, it is a core component of masala chai typically too. Um, I just added a little bit more for that added benefit. And then there's a pinch of Himalayan salt, both for the, the hydration aspect, um, drinking this in the morning, it's important to to hydrate in the morning and then salt actually does activate a lot of the flavors in the cacao and in the masala chai. Um, pretty much that's what I was drinking every morning with no intention to start a company because I thought this was my own like weird problem that I couldn't drink caffeine. And then I started to realize that actually there's a lot of other people out there that were like trying to quit coffee or reorient their relationship to caffeine, whether that was drinking less or, you know, not drinking an afternoon cup. And that's when I was like, oh, there's a business opportunity here. Really, there's an opportunity to shift culture in a really profound way. And, you know, I noticed how it impacted me and my mental health. And I was like, if I can help just one other person with that, like that's an amazing legacy to leave on the world. And so when I started Mudwater, I really didn't change the recipe at all. Um, same ingredients and many of the same exact suppliers even. So our mushrooms, same exact mushroom supplier that I was supplying from for myself. Um, and yeah, just, just try to keep the integrity of the product. I wanted it to be and serve other people as a coffee alternative. And so there, there was a, uh, I was thinking about whether or not to add things like creamer um, or, and other people were suggesting I add something like a sweetener which are great ideas and a lot of people, most people do drink mud water and do drink their coffee with creamer and sweetener. So it does make sense on the surface, but really I wanted to give people the ability to personalize their morning ritual on their own. And so instead of doing that, we offered mud as like a base that you can personalize. And now we offer a creamer and sweetener that you can purchase through us or you can go and purchase whatever creamer and sweetener suits you. I think that was exactly the kind of answer that Kyle was looking for. Uh, one question I have for you, kind of given uh, in, the, in the theme of just you know answering questions that address personal challenges and questions we have, and also something I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast struggle with, is kind of, you know, they're in their early 20s and they have this debate about like, you know, going, taking really demanding jobs that can make career progress, but also pursuing, you know, once in a lifetime opportunities uh, when you're super young and like have just, you know, certain characteristics of your life, no responsibilities, et cetera, that only make them possible then. And part of your story as well, where you might have, you know, discovered Chai is this time you spend in India, uh, just like surfing and like these cheap huts. And I kind of, based on the way you're telling the story, didn't seem like you're doing if you're like a ton of work during those periods as well. So like, what are your thoughts? And I'm also curious based on like kind of the internal awareness you have on some of like the guilt that people have about taking like a sabbatical or like the debate of taking a sabbatical to go do something awesome and adventurous versus taking a really demanding job, working in tech, working on the next big XYZ and like managing the mm -hmm. years at this point in life? Totally. I think, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I also recently did a, I did a silent retreat recently and I had a lot of profound uh, insights from that. But one of them was like, sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is absolutely nothing. <laughs> and it's in those times where there's just, absence of inputs 
um, that, you know, new pathways can sort of reveal themselves. Um, so yes, I think it's extremely valuable to create space for new pathways to reveal themselves. And sometimes that means, um, taking risk and taking new opportunities and taking sabbatical. Um, when I was traveling, to be totally honest, I wasn't working necessarily, um, but I was, I was doing a lot of work. Um, so the, the trip was actually inspired by a, an art residency invitation. So I got invited to go and, and essentially paint for five months and, and have an art show and go on Bombay, which some might not call work. Um, it was definitely very fun and it was 99% creative. But also during that time, instead of just like closing the laptop and, and completely unplugging, I, I started to think a lot about um, different ideas that I had with, with that freedom, I guess, with, um, without the, the manager to approve an idea or um, even customer base to appeal to. I just start, I literally created like business plans for multiple different products, like different apps and started mocking things up. I just was like playing around with things and sending it to friends, getting feedback. I'm not saying do that, like I'm somewhat of a workaholic and I've gotten a lot better, <laughs> but even when I was traveling, I was, I was taking that time um, as, yeah, I, I wasn't just viewing it as a complete checkout, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, however, I, there was a month on that trip where I was pretty disconnected. Um, I spent a month on this island chain, I'm actually not going to share the name because it's it's a pretty special place, uh, but it's completely remote. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no cellular service there. Um, you have to take a 14-hour ferry to, to arrive there after like a five-hour plane flight from India. Um, and once you're there, it's just this small little island that is, uh, there's one road, there's small population of people, and there's a couple perfect waves, and there will be like five foreigners there and you're just out in the lineup you, you know everybody and you're, you're going to bed at sunset and waking up at sunrise and things get very very simple and when I was there I instead of working on different ideas and thinking about um, what projects I wanted to pursue I actually just did these meditations um, at that time I was reading Joe Dispenza's work uh, and doing his one hour, 90 minute meditations, which are actually very uh, demanding. And um, you're, you're doing this combination of bringing about this kind of almost like a flow state. It's like this belief state in your body and you're kind of continuously building that muscle. Uh, and then you're, you're starting to picture the feelings that you're trying to inspire. And so for me, it was like less about the what I wanted the products to look like or what company I wanted to work for or where I wanted to live. It was more about like how I wanted it to feel. And I think that was one of the most transformative things I've ever done. Um, and that was just self-guided, uh, just listening to some of those meditations. And when I look back at some of the things I was looking for, it's like you kind of can connect the dots in reverse from that very moment. And, and so, yeah, I, I think... It's important, I think it was important for me not to just take that trip and just go and party. Um, so I was doing work on my future, just maybe in an atypical way. Are you willing to share some of those insights that you got from the uh, um, those long meditations, Joe Dispenza? Yeah, so let's see, uh, this was quite some time ago. Um, I think we, so back to like the flow state too, I, I think those meditations allowed me to tap into that, that inner voice, that inner state, um, with a lot more, uh, ease and repeatability. Like I, now I still use that tool. Like it was in the beginning, those meditations like almost made no sense. I was just closing my eyes and sort of following the thought that following the words with thought and you know, after you do it a couple of times, you have these moments where you're like, whoa, I actually feel what he's saying. I actually understand it on a, on a feeling level. And that just kind of keeps going and going and going. 
And it's very tough to articulate what that actually looks like or feels like in words. Um, but it is, uh, it's an accessible state that you can get into. And, you know, there's words for it, manifestation, um, you know, like the, the power of, of manifestation. But I think that that was like the main takeaway for me was actually figuring out how to tap into that and, um, and believing, yeah, and finding out what I was capable of bringing about into the world by tuning into myself and not really just viewing the world as just coming at me um, with, yeah, with, without my, uh, yeah, if, it made me feel like I had some control in my life. Yeah, I think that's a, a profound insight. And uh, we've had one other guest who, like you, kind of had a lot of very clearly displayed kind of wisdom about life and calmness about them. And he's the only other person to bring up Joe Dispenza on the podcast. Uh, so it's an interesting, interesting pattern there. I think we'll transition now to just some kind of rapid fire questions as we enter kind of the last 10, 15 minutes here. I uh, am a newbie in jujitsu. I've been training for about two months. What are maybe one, two, three nice. things you'd like to know as a white belt that would kind of, you know, speed up your progression, prevent injury, just have made that a better journey from the from yeah. day one? For sure. I, I would recommend figuring out an online resource that you really enjoy. Um, so you could go to BJJ Fanatics or even Art of Jiu-Jitsu. They have a great online course. And just try to understand the fundamentals of position. So there's, you know, like guard, half guard, side mm -hmm. control, all of those things. Um, and like, I think that's the fundamental understanding is how those can, how those positions connect to each other and how you can navigate through those, through those different positions. So that's like kind of understanding the chessboard in my opinion, I would say that would be one of the first things I would start with. And then the second thing is just continue to show up and, and train. Uh, like for me, I've had, I've been training since I was really little actually and i took many years off and i just like look back and regret that so much when you progress so quickly when you're training like th over three times a week for sure um i think it's kind of like a minimum and you just see your progression like skyrocket yeah yeah even just the few months of traveling oh i've been on one, one other like, thing too yeah w one other thing too um i think it is important like i think a lot of white belts uh love to train with higher belts which is which is great and definitely do that but also balance it out with with other white belts and practicing the things that you're really really good at really really dominant at um you don't only want to be playing defense is what i'm trying to say like try to train with some people where you can actually work on your offense and make sure to balance that out yeah, the first time I submitted a white belt of like similar training size or similar similar training time was like unreal. Uh, that was the first time I ever. Yeah, like it's so true. Uh, I don't have a commentary besides just like you're right, and I'm excited at how right you are because it's like I need to remember that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, continuously to you know progress in the right way. Uh, I have a question about healthy eating. Um, what like ingredients do you think that the common diet would be like missing? Like, uh, is there, is there something, you know, like mushrooms or, and, and lion's mane that we often overlook that's actually really good for us and accessible that you, uh, consume? Mm, I don't know if there's really a common diet. Uh, yeah, I that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think some things to explore, one of the things that really, um, helped me understand my my personal diet has been things like fasting um, but also when I was in college when I was like around your age I did an Ayurvedic cleanse um, which isn't just not eating but you're eating what's called like a mono diet so uh, for my case I ate kitchari which is um, basmati rice mung dal and uh, spices with ghee it's actually really in my opinion it's fucking awesome and I'll, I eat it quite often still um, it's it's really filling but it's also very easy on your digestive system so like in a way you're you're able to kind of get some of the benefits of fasting and cleansing and giving your your digestive system a break while not starving yourself and so you basically use that diet for like a week and it it allows you to sort of navigate through some of the cravings that you start to see like 
do you really crave X food or like, is your body really wanting that? Is your body really needing that? Or is that like something else like your, your mind or is it just a distraction or is it a comfort food? Um, and so I think when you start to like take things away, you start to really understand what they actually mean to you. And so that's what I would recommend with anyone's diet is just like kind of take it all away for a period of time in whatever way is safe for you, whether that's just doing a water fast or doing like a mono diet, like a kitchery cleanse, and then starting to like add things back in and really rediscovering your baseline and how things impact you as an individual. That's awesome. I, uh, I can definitely survive on the uh, rice and fat diet for a long time and then just kind of the elimination approach, but not the, you're kind of uh, one, the only totally. other people who recommend the elimination diet seem to be the all meat people. Uh, which is a camp I've belonged to in, in phases before, <laughs> but I like the, that's a good option for a lot of people considering the wisdom I've of the elimination that. diet. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I did the carnivore diet for like 10 days before. Yeah. Felt, all right. Lewis was a vegan for it like, just didn't feel sustainable. For Lewis me. was a, t- a vegan for like two years and he's been a carnivore for like three months. He, he's <laughs> experimented a lot with his diet. Lots of experimentation. I'll, I'll say, yeah. uh, when I was on the carnivore diet, I had coffee cravings disappeared after two days. Like that was the easiest, like I was talking about, you know, the cycles of coffee addiction and like you kind of reintroduce it and then eventually kind of takes over your life in a negative way. And then you have a successful break, et cetera. And I've done that, played that yeah. game too many times. But when I was on the carnivore diet, I had no intention of quitting caffeine, no intention. And then two days in, I just had no desire for caffeine and like was completely off caffeine. And then it was, it was insane. Great energy. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Uh, I had another question for you. What is the, uh, I'm sure you might be open to like multiple possibilities, but is your goal to become a huge DT, like continue to grow in this DTC metric? Do you want to see mud water in Whole Foods and health stores and Trader Joe's? Like what is the goal in terms of like the next big step change uh, for the brand and the business's like goals? Or is it a lot more products on the DTC front? Like what's the the main avenue of concentration in that respect? Dude, that's top secret, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, these are these are things we're thinking about. We we've been so so D to C is obviously the preferred path. Um, if any company like can do D to C forever, they probably would. It's just that at a certain scale, um, a, a lot of companies find like around the thirty million and fifty million dollar mark there comes a time where acquisition costs start to become very high relative to LTV um, through an online acquisition model. And so at that point in time, a lot of companies have to sort of transition and diversify their channel strategy, meaning they have to start acquiring customers in the offline environment. With our product specifically, being that it's a beverage and can be prepared in a variety of ways, it's actually a very advantageous for us to have an offline strategy because our customers want to try our product before they buy it. And the best way to try it is through a trained barista. So we're, we're expanding to offline for a variety of reasons, but that's one of our main ones is to help acquire customers into our online ecosystem and, and membership program. <clears throat> and so we're doing that by going to a lot of different cafes. So right now we have around 300 accounts and that's really just playing defense. We get around 25 applications every couple weeks, um, and we're looking to go double down on that over the next three or five years. Uh, and then we are looking to expand into offering where customers can buy our product once they have tried it. Um, online through a website is, like I said, ideal, but it is limiting. There's a lot of customers, there's a lot of people that like really only buy online products through Amazon, like period, and they only search and, and trust products that are on Amazon. So we'll be launching Amazon in a month, um, and then we'll be launching Whole Foods at some time in the next year, or Whole Foods and Whole Foods-like channels in the next um, couple of years probably, uh, eventually international too. And then to your second question around like, what are we actually gonna offer through those channels? Right now, we have a very limited offering. And again, that's also very preferred. We haven't launched new products. We've been very disciplined in how we launch products for a reason. We, we want to be very clear with who we are as a company. And we didn't have to switch up and offer different things. We wanted, there, there's a lot of benefit in being 
very clear with who you are and a lot of t a lot of people think of mud water and they think of the tin that you're holding up in your hand right um now we we, we offer two of those right we have the morning and evening tin and we have creamer and sweetener and so we're looking to continue that path where we where we continue to offer different um different flavor profiles around how people rise so matcha golden milk chicory for example and then also different flavor profiles for how people want to rest and then with that, we'll continue to expand the accessory line, which is our creamer and sweetener. We're going to launch a mushroom boost. And then we'll probably also launch um, uh, assortment of single ingredients that people can add to their mud water to change primarily the function, but also the, the flavor. So that might be things like maca, ashwagandha, different, different components that they can add to it um, and continue to personalize based on how they want to sip their mud. Well, that uh, is a uh, of... great... F oh, uh, so I have no more questions from you, Kyle, but this is... Yeah, yeah. Time. Uh, speaking of, of as well. customer acquisition, uh, when you look to the past, what has been like uh, really successful campaigns? Obviously, you, do, you guys crush it on Facebook and Instagram. I really, really enjoy. Like, I, I think I told uh, my girlfriend before. Like, just like look at this ad; it's so good. Um, but specifically with podcasting, what kind of success have you seen from uh, posting advertisements on different podcasts? Has it drawn a lot hmm. of um, a lot of you know? Has it drummed up a lot of demand? Yeah. I mean, podcasting is an amazing channel for advertising. Uh, for the first two and a half years of our company, we really were acquiring most of our customers through Instagram, Facebook, and and then YouTube and the, the latter parts. We, we, of course, use Google branded terms, but I kind of want to have that be a separate thing. I'd say what's been successful for us to date has been knowing when to zig where others are zagging in terms of how we create our creative. Um, and I would dive in on that by saying that like, when I started, you could look around at ads and a lot of people were kind of copying each other and trying to do the same things, whether it was like certain types of imagery, like very, very clean and certain types of copy where it was very, very short and kind of to the point and flashy. Um, and I think a general rule of thumb when you're trying to launch a product is finding how to differentiate a very relevant thing, um, which is tough. You kind of need both of those. So if you're if you're only differentiating, you're probably not relevant to anybody. And then if you're only relevant to people, it's really tough for people to kind of choose you out of the crowd because there's going to be a lot of people do it. You're not differentiated. So it is important to zig when others are zagging, but it's also very important to know when and where to do so. And I, I started playing around with that in ads early on. Um, instead of posting really polished ads, I would just take sort of photos of my iPhone that felt like they would appear in your feed naturally, right? And I was starting to think like, if I'm scrolling through my feed and I see this really polished photo, I instantly know it's not one of my friends, it's not part of my community, it's for sure a company trying to sell me something. And with an ad, you're always trying to kind of like, there's this analogy of if you're trying to light a, like a large log on fire, you don't just take a match and go to the log. You kind of build the, the kindling and start throwing logs on and build that fire in a larger way. So I was always just thinking about what is the next step that I'm trying to get the customer to do. And so the first step was just something interesting enough to cause them to pause. And then the next step would be write amazing copy that causes them to read it and from the reading causes them to go to our site and learn more. And so the copy that I started to write was very rarely short and to the point and copy around our product itself. It was either, sh if it was short, it was kind of um, like mysterious. Like one of our first copy segments was, I'm not mad at coffee, I'm just disappointed, so I made something better. So that's an example, like it wasn't value propy. Um, and then another example of copy was was just almost like a blog post of my story, which is like not that crazy or different, but just the fact that I was posting from a first person's perspective, like a long format piece on why I started this company, it made people feel like it was different. It was differentiating. 
and it made people feel like there's a human behind it. I, I mean, this is what I think is why it stood out. And that was just enough to cause people to, you know, stop scrolling, read, and then click over through our website. As far as how that applies to podcast advertising, I, w- I admit, I wouldn't say that we figured out completely how to differentiate on that channel because a lot of podcasters, they do their own reads. Um, but it is something we're thinking about, both from the giving them some ideas on how to differentiate their ad reads to trying to integrate our product into the podcast itself, whether it's like sponsoring a podcast and every guest and the host, they're sipping mud water, things like that. So we're, we're looking into that and finding some great success on podcasts. Someone, we, maybe we'll sponsor yours. We'd love that. <laughs> we, we'll sip on some mud water for sure. Let's do it. Well, I think this is a great place to stop the, uh, stop the recording, let everyone get on with their days. Where would you like to, where's the first piece of attention you want to direct people? If there's a specific hyperlink, your, your Instagram account or just the landing page itself, or just if people are like, I've been thirsty this whole time and tired and unfocused and stressed which they shouldn't be from <laughs> listening to this, but maybe because yeah. of external circumstances, uh, where we, where should yeah. we be sending? Well, I'd say if you, if you've made it, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you're probably ready to go and purchase the products. So you can do that at <laughs> mudwater.com. It's M U D W T R.com. But, um, but I think a great spot just to kind of get a sense for the, the breadth of the content that we try to cover as a company. I mean, we donate to psychedelic research every month, um, through maps and we talk a lot about healthy morning and evening rituals beyond the beverage too so you can go and check into that at drink mudwater on instagram so drink m-u-d-w-t-r on instagram um, give us a follow there and if you're looking for more content without buying the product sign up for our newsletter we have we have great content there too you can do that on our website yeah it's incredibly high quality i've read a ton of it just as through the process as well so highly encourage people to check that out well, this has been great, Shane. Thank you so yeah, much for coming on with us. Uh, thank you for having me. And that wraps up our conversation with Shane Heath from Mudwater. Another really enjoyable conversation, an excellent company, and just a really cool person to talk to. Uh, my three takeaways are, number one, flow state as a skill. So uh, we got into it pretty early on about um, just flow state, what it is, and how he gets into it. And I've just found that over time, like the people that are um, musicians and there's just this certain quality of, of people who have developed the skill of getting into a flow state over a long period of time through practicing these different skills like surfing for Shane, um, which I think translate really well into other areas of life that give these people the ability to um, find their flow a lot faster, a lot quicker um, and, and just be in a groove that that's hard to beat. Uh, number two is making things for yourself is often the best strategy. Uh, I know Tim Ferriss talks about this. I think he wrote for just like a couple friends, um, when he was writing his books, but that's what Shane did. Shane built this company by building something for himself, which was mud water as an alternative for himself to coffee, which made him anxious. And so, you know, you don't have to solve everyone's problem. If you have a problem that you can solve for yourself then there's probably, or there might be a market out there and it's up to you to find it. Uh, and the number three is build a culture that no one will, no one will leave and how, just how difficult that is. Like the culture at Mudwater is so interesting. I encourage everyone that's listening to go read about it on Mudwater's website, but you know, they take these long like vacations to different islands and they all go together and they do yoga and they just have this uh, incredible like work culture. And on Wednesdays, they, um, they don't do any meetings. They don't take any calls. And it's like, that's so brave of Shane to, to build that sort of culture. And you see it pay off through, you know, the valuation of his company and also the fact that no one has ever left the company that has, has joined. Uh, and that just speaks to Shane's ability as a leader and his, um, creativity in building a culture that uh, is so excellent that no one wants to leave, which is just so rare. Three takeaways from me from this conversation. The first one is about the importance of isolating the variables when identifying a change. Uh, We discuss Shane's Ayurvedic cleanses, a word I'm totally screwing up, but it's actually spelled right the first time I tried to write it down when I was making notes here. Uh, And the Kitchery diet he was on, another word, same scenario, where you basically just ate protein and rice and legumes and nothing else. And then when you do that, you can introduce more foods and see what actually bothers you. When you're doing any experiment with too much noise, 
right? Kyle and I with this podcast, for example, it's really tough to experiment and only tweak one variable. Uh, but this is kind of a good metaphor for anything you're trying to do, or literally just don't make a metaphor out of it. Just right. Like if you're just trying to be healthy and figure out what food affects your body, that's like more than plenty of a takeaway. Uh, but I'd only ever heard of elimination diets in the sense of the carnivore diet, right? Where you just only eat meat and then you introduce other things, but it's uh, it's a good point that you can also just do similar things just with rice and beans and maybe chicken or something or fish. One, one, one really simple diet, stick to that completely and then use your variation off that as the starting point. So that was interesting and eye-opening. Second takeaway for me, this is something I repeat all the time, but Shane gave me a new way to phrase it, which I really like and really appreciated. I always talk about the difference in the way these interviews go when the entrepreneur had previously started a, when it started this business for the sake of starting this business versus they just done something for the sake of doing it. And then only then later after realize, oh, this would actually make a great business either from like their own insight or from someone else being like, Hey, what are you using over there? What is this thing you've made that you only you have? I would like that as well. And it's just not saying, you know, you can't decide to be an entrepreneur and come up with an idea, but definitely always have your eyes and ears open to those circumstances where you just do something obscure for yourself. You fix one of your own problems in this neat way. Other people find out about it and they want it. That's where these like blow up opportunities come from. So Shane, no difference. Oh, I might not have even said the phrase. He said, not started on a whiteboard. That's the phrase. This business was not started on a whiteboard, started because he made something, he wanted it, he has it. Third one is about how his inner work has just clearly made a difference. That's another thing I say semi-frequently in these interviews is you listen to some of these people and you can just tell like who has that spiritual calm and sense of purpose and clarity and like serene state of mind and who's just like hyper-stressed. You know, they're successful, they're interesting, they're intelligent, but they are not calm, right? They don't have that inner peace and that balance. And I mean, Shane's an example song where you listen to a story and I'd encourage you to listen to him on other podcasts as well. He's great. He's a really interesting person. And I mean, there's so many other things I would have loved to ask him had we had more time. And he fortunately shares a lot of those ideas in other places, but you listen to him speak and he's just at ease. And there are examples of, you know, stories in the company history where that also makes a tremendous difference at really important times. So that's what I have to say to this episode. Very, very grateful to Shane for listening to this podcast or very grateful to you for listening to this podcast. Very grateful to Shane for coming on and joining us. If you'd like to be supportive of us, which you don't need to, but you know, if you'd like to, that'd be sick. We have a ton of other episodes. This is very close to episode 100, which means there's probably 95, 96, 97 other episodes. I would encourage you to scroll through the feed and see which ones speak to you and go listen to them. Otherwise you can share this podcast with someone else who might enjoy it on any way you choose to do that. That could be in person, online, in the metaverse, in the meat space. Meat space is a, is word for for real life for people who don't know what that is and otherwise just make sure that wherever you're listening should you choose to want to know more about this podcast when the next episode comes out hit subscribe and you will in fact know about the next episode that's it for me see you then bye-bye